Welcome to the First Prez Podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. Our services are Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, 10, and 11 o'clock. You can learn more about First Prez at firstprezcos.org. Well, good morning, church. Good to be together giving this hour of worship to the Lord. And um, so sorry, Greg, for the, the slip and fall. And um, just hope it wasn't on our property. And um, but, we, but we love you, brother. And yeah. But it's, I'm grateful to be here. You know, this is our fourth of four hours of worship that we give to the Lord on Sunday mornings. And, and as I lead in each of these hours, I get to watch God do amazing things in people's hearts. It matters that we give this hour to the Lord. And I hope as you go into Thanksgiving this week and you're you know, going through that, all that that entails for all of us, I hope that you're taking a minute to cultivate that attitude of gratitude. You know what I'm talking about? And just listing the things that God has done in your life that, that, uh, that you're grateful for. And I hope that your church is one of them. I've seen a lot of churches. This is a pretty amazing place and what God is doing. Aren't you grateful? So let's, uh, we're finishing our series in 2 Thessalonians. I encourage you to open your Bibles and, um, and turn there or turn on your Bibles and get to that. We're finishing out this four-part series. So we're going to read from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 starting at verse 6 straight to the end. And as we open the scriptures, let's open our hearts in prayer. Lord, we say we open our hearts in prayer, but really what we're saying is, help us. You open our hearts. You open our minds. We know, Jesus, that you're not dead and buried. You're still alive. And you're speaking to people. And we pray as we look at these words of Scripture that we could hear your voice speaking to us as we worship together. In Jesus' name, the church said... Amen. At verse 6. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busybodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace. At all times, and in every way, the Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand, which is the distinguishing mark in all my letters. This is how I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Steadfast, still standing. What does that evoke in you when I just use that phrase? Still standing. Just those two words. What pictures come into your, to your mind? After the fire, still standing. After the storm, 
still standing. After the battle, the flag was still standing. What does it evoke in you? You know, for me, um, uh, September 11th is defining. For my generation, it's just one of those things where, you know, if you, you just, you're going to remember where you were that day. You're gonna, I remember everything about it. I remember everything about how I felt. And when I use that phrase, still standing, first, the very first picture that pops into my mind is a picture of that cross that, that the iron beams, uh, that it's just part of the structure of the building that these iron beams, you know, were shaped in that way. And right in the middle of all of that, there it stood. And I remember seeing it. You know, now they've made that a permanent part of the memorial, but I remember, I remember seeing that when I was watching the news. I noticed that. Before anybody started talking about it, and I, just, I just noticed it. Do you remember that? And I thought when I saw it, how fitting. How fitting. That right there in the middle of all that pain and all that destruction, all that horror, how fitting that the cross is still standing right there where people contrived and conspired to do the absolute worst that any human being could do to another. Right there, the cross. The cross is still standing. Still standing. In a hundred years, what will still be standing? My grandmother used to have a saying. She used to say, in a hundred years, we'll all be dead. I didn't say it was a happy saying. I said it was a saying. It's kind of dark. But it's kind of a useful saying. It's a useful saying every now and then, you know, it gets you out of a corner. Like, for example, when um, a relative started a, a conversation at Thanksgiving on politics, you might just want to put this in your back pocket, and this is going to help you out. You get into an, an awkward conversation, you're kind of backed into a corner, this is what you do. You say, well, in a hundred years, we'll all be dead. And then you go get some pie, you know? It's helpful Thanksgiving tips from Pastor Tim, okay? <laughs> but you know, she was, uh, she was right. In a hundred years, we'll all be dead. I mean, and what will be left? What will still be standing? What will be around in a hundred years that comes from, from us gathering here at 11 o'clock on November, uh, whatever it is, 2019. What will be of of us? What will still be here of our opportunity to be together and be the church? What will still be standing of what we were about when we had our opportunity to serve Jesus in 2019? Whatever it is, if it's still there, if it's still standing, it's going to have to be on some firm foundations. It's going to have to be steadfast. There's something nice about getting all the way through a letter of Scripture. I I like it because to me it just feels like, um, you know, there's something whole about that. And Scripture is foundation work. This is about getting down under the surface and seeing what's under there. You know, what are you building your life on? What's down under the surface? that you can rely on to be still standing. Scripture, the Word of God, is a solid foundation. And if you're not building your life on this, then I just, you know, I have to ask, what are you building your life on? 
you know, picking up common sayings or um, uh, things that we pick up on Instagram means or funny t-shirts or things we learn in movies and, and in shows and all that stuff, it can kind of creep into our lives. Before you know it, I'm making decisions on some of that stuff. Or even worldly philosophies or, or uh, current, current ideas, the current news cycle. What is it? You know, if it isn't the Word of God... I just wonder if it'll still be standing. Jesus talked about that. When he gave his, his very most famous uh, sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, he came to the end of it and he said, look, it's like this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. What's down underneath? And see, it isn't just that I heard the words. It isn't just that I understood the words, but it's that I practiced them, right? I put them into practice, so I trusted, I believed. But Jesus, he knew that we wouldn't always do that. And so he said, on the other hand, on the other hand, uh, where am I in my notes? Therefore, those who hear these words, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down. You know, it always does. The streams rose. You know, they tend to. And the winds blew against that house and beat against it. And it fell with a great crash. In a hundred years, what will still be standing? What will our our kids, our our grandkids, our I mean it's a hundred years, great, great, how many greats do we need? What will they be able to look at and see and say, look, still standing. Still standing. In our look at 2 Thessalonians, we're in deep on the third problem the church was facing. You see, there are three challenges. One, they didn't understand why persecution was rising against them. Why is it so hard to walk with Jesus in a world like this? So they talked about that. Number two was, there was a phrase called the day of the Lord. It's talking about end times. And they didn't understand what all that meant. And so they talked about that. What does that mean? And then there's a third problem. The third problem was that there are folks in the church who were idle. They weren't doing anything. And they weren't willing to, to, to lean in and to help and to, and to, you know, contribute. And it was on spiritual grounds. They were saying, I don't want to do anything because Jesus is coming back soon. And so I'm not going to do anything. And that's what this passage addresses today. And Paul is very firm. The scripture is very firm, isn't it? About how to deal with that. And why? Well, it's because it's at the very foundations. It's at the very foundations of what's being built. You know, imagine if your, your house was being built and you're watching them pour the concrete foundation work and, and someone was coming along beside and was throwing in all kinds of trash, you know, like bags of trash. What would you do? You'd say, well, you've got to stop doing that, right? Because that's going to erode the foundation. Maybe not tomorrow, maybe not next week, but that's going to erode the strength of the whole structure. Well, Paul's heart... Paul's heart is to see a church still standing after hundreds of years. And so the foundations, they've got to be true 
They've got to be steadfast. Verse 6, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. That's strong, isn't it? And it's a little strange. Don't you find that passage a little weird? Like, just think, I'm going to live that out this week. You know? And then you see how, how strange that is. Those of us who you know, have walked along with Jesus a little and have, have learned about how we're supposed to reach out and join in and be in relationship and be in community, all of a sudden here comes this, this passage that says, you've got to stay away. You've got to separate from. You've got to, you've got to watch out for and pull away from certain folks. And not just certain folks, but did you see it? Believers, certain believers that the Scripture says you've got to pull away. Well, what is this about? What is going on? Well, what the Scripture is concerned about, what Paul is concerned about, is influence. Who's influencing? Who's pulling things along? Who's changing people's minds? Who's shaping the direction of the church? He says you've got to pull away from those who are idle and disruptive. It's just like Jesus said when uh, he was in the boat with his disciples. He said, beware of the yeast and the leaven of the Pharisees. And they all thought he was talking about making bread, but he wasn't. He was talking about the teaching that can pull you away from God's purposes and the leaders who influence in the wrong direction. Well, see, the, the problem was, the challenge was, it wasn't just that some people were getting sort of like lazy. You know, as we joked about uh, the couch protest in the basement. Like, I'm just, I'm just going to lie here on the couch for Jesus because... Because Jesus is coming back soon. It's, it's that, but it's, it's more than that. Look at what it says. It says, they are idle and, did you catch it? Disruptive. Like, how can you be both of those things? And the same phrase gets repeated in verse 11. Idle and disruptive. And then the same phrase was used by, by Paul in the first letter, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 14. It says, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are, say it together, Idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. And be patient with everyone. But patience was beginning to run thin with this bunch. Because they were disrupting the work of the Lord. They were disrupting the body. They were spreading false rumors. And they were blocking what the Lord was calling the church to do. The clear mission that the church was moving toward. Their commitment to non-doing was getting in the way of the doers who wanted to see, remember, who wanted to see the gospel spread like wildfire. As we talked about two weeks ago. They were idle and disruptive. Yeah. General Patton, General Patton once said, either lead me, follow me, or does anybody know it? Get out of the way. All the military voices in the room are like, I know that one. Get out of the way. Yeah. Either lead me, follow me, or get out of the way. You know, something to that. We've got in our kitchen, we've got what I call the crash corner. I, th- I think every, every kitchen has one. Let me describe it for you. The crash corner is where the toaster, the microwave, the coffee maker, the sink, the dishwasher, and just about anything else that anybody wants are all in one corner. They all intersect right there at the crash corner. Are you with me? Now, I find myself saying regularly when I'm in that corner, lovingly, (laughs) you don't have to help, but don't stand here, right? 
You don't have to help, but don't stand here. Either do a dish, help a dish get done, or back away from the dishes and get out of the way. The crash corner. And uh, in, in our house, the, the worst, you know, character is our little dog, Finnegan, who's always, like, right behind our legs whenever we're trying to get anything done. But he has a different motivation for being around the dirty dishes. So, uh, so we give him grace. The crash corner. The crash corner. Hey, lead follower, get out of the way. Paul says this group was somehow idle and disruptive. They were somehow so committed to the non-doing that they were going to block the doers. And Paul says, look, don't be that way. You didn't, we weren't that way. Pretend like you're us, you know. Don't go that way. Go this way. Don't follow that direction. Follow this direction. Be influenced by our example. Because when we were with you, we weren't, we weren't not. We weren't idle. We were doers. I mean, we were on it. We wanted to contribute. Even beyond what we had to do, we were in it to win it for Jesus. And so even when we were with you, Paul says, we gave you this rule. Uh, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. And that, by the way, is the theme verse of our family Thanksgiving celebration this year. <laughs> Put that in all the invitations. You know? Hey, either do a dish. All right, you're with me. We were doers, he says, not idlers disrupting what needed to be done. Verse 11, we hear that some of you are idle and disruptive. They're not busy. They are What? Busy bodies. <laughs> is that a little convicting? You know, it is for me. Am I, am I being busy or am I being a busy body? Am I, am I leaning in and helping and getting some stuff done or am I just spinning out of control? I mean, am I just buzzing all around and never getting anything done? You know the spirit of the busy body. We get into that sometimes. The busy body is always working and never accomplishing. They're just spinning, spinning, spinning. Jesus had some friends, uh, sisters named Mary and Martha. And they lived in a town called Bethany on the backside of the Mount of Olives near Jerusalem. Jesus came to visit with their house one time. And, and Martha, she's excited about that, so she wanted to put on the very best that she could. So she was very busy. She was working her fingers to the bone, putting together the best sort of hospitality she could for Jesus and his followers. And her sister, Mary, you know what she was doing? Sitting there. And she was sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to his teaching as a student is trained by a rabbi. But Martha said, she blew her, she blew her top. So Martha said, Jesus, you've got to tell her to get up and help. You know, she has got to get off of her... Okay. <laughs> and you know what Jesus said to Martha? Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset, you're distracted, you're in this busybody mode, you're worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed, indeed, only one. And Mary has chosen what is better. It will not be taken from her. Friends, there's something to take away from, from this moment. Busy or busy body. Listen, here's the truth from that. There is an enormous difference between doing things for Jesus and doing things with Jesus. An enormous difference. 
And when we get in the pattern of, of Martha, we're in this, I'm going to do for Jesus, do for Jesus. We get spun up in this busybody mode where, you know, we're just rushing, rushing, rushing. And we're always in a panic. And nothing is ever done at the end of the day. And you can hardly take a full breath. I mean, breathe. There's no time for that. There's no time for breathing, right? We've got to get this done. You're in busybody mode. But Mary, she didn't want to do for Jesus. She wanted to do with Jesus. And so she sat at his feet to listen and to learn and to know his voice. What's missing in the busybody is submission to the lordship of Jesus that says, Lord, what are you doing and how can I be a part of it? Well, then you're busy. But you're not a busybody. You get it? There's a lot to that. But I just love that. Are you busy or busybody? Don't run off on your own steam to do for Jesus. Submit to what Jesus is doing and where you can jump in. Well, Paul is concerned that this little church is going to get sucked into busybody mode where everybody is exhausted and nothing ever gets finished and they don't ever move anywhere and nothing is getting done. Nothing that Jesus wants. Nothing getting done with him. And the frustration with the disruptive party that's spinning things up and at the same time slowing things down is clear. Paul is fed up. He's, it's, it's enough. But look at this. Even when he's, when he's fed up, look at what he says. He says, but listen, don't make an enemy out of anybody. Yet do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. He says, listen, wait, 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 wait. There's no enemies inside the house. Don't make an enemy out of anybody. But encourage people along. And, and, bring it all under the lordship of Christ. Bring it all under the feet of Jesus. Bring it all under the face of Jesus, the lordship of Jesus, because that's where peace is found. Look at verse 16. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you, what? Peace. At all times, in every way. Church, I want us to just take a deep breath together. You ready? <sighs> Peace from the Lord. At all times, in every way. In the last bit of that verse. And the Lord be with you, what? All. The busy bodies, the, the busy, the helpers, the disruptors, the, these people, that people. May the Lord be with you all, one church. And then he signs a letter. He says, hey, look, uh, no more fakes, please. I signed most letters in the ancient world. They were taken by dictation. So he says, let me get the pencil, and I'm writing my name on this. And he says, look, this is how I write. There's nothing I can do about it. And he says, you know, this is, you watch for this. No more fakes, no more confusion on solid footing. Well, friends, the church was on solid footing. And we know that because we can read in Acts how disciples got uh, raised up out of that church and they helped propel the mission of the church forward. I mean, even before the close of the canon, before, in, in Acts, you can read about disciples that were formed in Thessalonica. And then if you read church history, then what you come to find out is that 200, 300 years later, that, church, that city, the city, not just the church, but the city, had developed a nickname. And its nickname was the Orthodox City. 
know what that means? That means the city of right belief, the city of faithful belief. And so in the middle of heresy and wars and all this change and, and disruption, like what's going on in the world, you could hear people saying, well, what do they say back at the faithful city? What do they say in Thessalonica? Like we're the Olympic city, USA, they're the faithful city. What an impact on a city that church had in 300 years. And listen, what was the impact of the church? It wasn't a structure. It wasn't a building. It was a body. It was a people urgently about the Lord's business and devoted to it. That is what made them steadfast. So, friends, we're the church, you know. And we've got to ask on a scripture like this, what about us? What will still be here? A hundred years from now, 300 years from now, 500 years from now, what might still remain that those who come after us might look and say, look, it's still standing. Well, what is it? Well, I'm telling you, it's not, it's not this, this material stuff. It's not this stage or these bricks or these walls or these chairs we're sitting on. It's not any of that stuff, is it? It's a people. If there is anything that remains and is found still standing of our opportunity to serve the Lord today, it will be this, that you and I, we were devoted urgently and fully to the work and the mission of Jesus Christ. That we said, Lord, we want to be a part of what you're doing and we want to go with you. And whatever that means, we're in. We want to be a part of seeking and saving the lost, of nurturing the faithful, of making your name great across all nations. We want to be a part of that. Friends, if, if we are urgently devoted to the work of the Lord in our time, that, that they will find still standing. Amen? Tomorrow, Abigail and I and our family, we... Uh, travel to Pennsylvania for Thanksgiving with, with her parents. And, and uh, when we're over there, we'll drive over a bridge that spans the Susquehanna River at over a mile wide. Anybody know that area, that bridge? Come on, yeah. At one point, it was the longest concrete arch bridge in America. And uh, that, there's been a lot of bridges there. The first one was built in 1814, and it was wood-covered. And in 1832, it was destroyed by an ice storm destroyed. But you know what? After it was destroyed, the stone footers in that river, they were still standing. So they rebuilt the bridge. And then in 1863, Confederate forces were going to cross that bridge and attack the Capitol. And so the Union soldiers, they went out on that bridge and they lit it on fire. They burned it down to stop their advance. But you know what? After they burned it down, the stone footers were still standing. So they rebuilt it. In 1896, a hurricane, this is central Pennsylvania now. <laughs> this is a bad hurricane. A hurricane came, destroyed the bridge. But you know what? After the hurricane, are you with me yet? The stone footers, they were still standing. So they built a railroad bridge. The railroad ran across that bridge until 1963 when they took it all apart. And we'll drive across a bridge, a new bridge. And when you drive across that new bridge, you can look out of your car and you can see in the middle of the river the stone pillars, the stone footers still standing. Friends, when something is built 
on a firm foundation, it lasts. When your life is rested in Christ and in his word, you're on a firm foundation. After the storm, still standing. After the battle, still standing. After the hurricane, still standing. After the economic collapse, after the loss of the job, after your dreams started to fall apart, still standing. After he left you, after she never texted you back, listen, you're still standing. You're still standing. After the cancer, after, after the wreck, after everything started to fall apart, still standing. And listen to me now. When your life is in Christ, when your life is in Christ, even on your final breath, you expel the last breath you've been given to take your soul, your eternal soul, and your life. It's still standing. Why? Because you are hidden in Christ who lived and died, and when he rose again, after death was seen, what? Still standing. I want to give you an opportunity to pray. And actually, I'm going to pray for you in two ways. As we end the series, as we close the series, the first thing I just want to ask is, is, is if this series touched your heart, if you think about steadfast and what we've studied together, I want to know if the Spirit spoke to you in a particular way. And you're here this morning and you want to know those firm foundations, those solid footings. You're tired of the things that fall apart in your hands. You're tired of the places where your foot always seems to slip. You're tired of, of the structures that are built on sand. And you don't know when the storm's going to come and blow them off. And you know that you want your life on a solid footing with Jesus. If the Lord has spoken to you in this series in a particular way, and you want to be steadfast for Jesus, I want to pray for you. And to know that I'm praying for you, I just ask you, put your hand in the air. Just saying, this series spoke to me in a special way. I want my life on firm foundation. I want to know that my life rests on Jesus. I want to know that that whatever I face tomorrow, that I'm going to be solid and secure in Him. Just put your hand in the air. If the Lord has said that to you in any way, if He said it to you this morning, just put your hand in the air so I can see it and I can pray for you, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, bless this church. Bless this people. Put our lives on firm foundation. Build our families on firm foundation. Build this church on firm foundation. Don't let us, Lord, spin off, always working, never getting anything done, being busy bodies. Lord, let us look to you in your face and to know that the things that we are doing, the things that we are suffering, they matter. They matter and that you've got us steadfast and firm, and that one day, Lord, by your grace, we will be still standing. In Jesus' name, you can put down your hand. God bless you. And still in a posture of prayer. You know, I told you I've led through four services. I've seen the Lord working today. There's some of you that are here, and you don't know what's underneath your footing. And you've come around church, you've come around some Christian friends, and maybe you've been with us, you've been singing, you've been been exploring, but you've never opened your heart to Jesus. I want to tell you, there is a firm foundation to be found in Jesus Christ. And who is Jesus? Jesus is God, who came here to rescue us and set us free 
and carry us home. Who is Jesus? He's the Lord who holds on to us when we don't know if we're going to be able to hold on to Him. Who is Jesus? He's the one who came and suffered and died and gave His life on that cross, a penalty for our sins so that we could have eternal life under our feet. Some of you are here this morning and right now is the moment that you for the very first time need to open your heart to Jesus Christ. And you might be so bold that you want to you make a statement about that. And I invite you. If the Lord is knocking on the door of your heart, I invite you to put your hand in the ear. Just let me see you where you are. And let me pray for you. God bless you. And wherever your heart is, let's close our eyes. Friends, let's pray together. I'm going to invite you to follow in prayer. I'm going to pray, and then you can pray back with me. And all eyes closed, I ask every, every person in the room to, if you're willing, if you're willing, to follow me in prayer. No one prays alone, even those who are opening their hearts for the very first time to Jesus. No one prays alone. I want to ask you to follow after me, Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not sure what I built my life on. But I want my life built on you. Sturdy and steadfast in your love. Forgive me my sins. Strengthen my foundations. Let my life be found in you. My Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the First Prez Podcast. If you would like more information, you may visit our website at firstprezcos.org.